0: Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influencers Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you, and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influencers.church. And now for our message. Well,
1: tonight, I'm so glad you're here. We're gonna start a two-week series we've titled Endgame, And we're gonna talk about what happens at the end of the world. Now, I need to premise a couple of things before we get into this. Uh, tonight, I've got about 30 maybe 35 minutes and I've got the same next week. That's not a lot of time to talk about everything that the Bible says about it. And so most likely there's gonna be some questions that go unanswered that you might have. There's gonna be some topics that we touch on or that we maybe don't touch on that you wish that we did. Um, But I pray as we talk about this that at least encourages you to study it for yourself and seek it out for yourself because it is a it's an exciting topic, it's an interesting topic, and I think it's good to know uh, what the Bible says about it. So please, please don't get disappointed if there's something that we don't touch on or we don't say, um, but uh, check it out for yourself. Also, Pastor Greg has done a great two-week series just recently on the Book of Revelation. Uh, So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you go to our YouTube page. Uh, You can catch up with it there, it's brilliant. And that means if you have any hard questions, you ask him. Amen. Um, So we have limited time, let's get into it, let's pray, and let's get into tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that ultimately, no matter what, you are in control. You are high above all things, and tonight we just thank you. We have this opportunity to gather around your word, and I pray that you'll just speak to us and help us grasp some of these ideas that can be difficult and challenging for us to understand. Let it be by your spirit, in your wonderful name, amen. Now, if I was to go around the room tonight and I was to ask you the question, what is gonna happen at the end of the world? Uh, Probably for the the most popular response would probably be at some time, Jesus is going to come back and we're going to go and live in heaven with him forever. And there's a lot of truth to that and I'm excited about that, but the Bible tells us there's also a lot of events that happen before, during, and after that. And so I want to talk about that tonight and I want to try and fill in, I suppose, some of the gaps um, that we might have. And so the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to lay out a timeline of events uh, from today through to the end of the world. And so um, now before I do that, it is important to say this as well, is that there are a number of different views on the sequence and reality of these events. Um, so different people have different lenses through which they interpret the Scripture. And so you, you might have a slightly different view or different order of events to what I share tonight. Um, but because I'm limited time, I don't have the opportunity to touch on all of them. But I'm going to choose one. Now, I'm not just going to choose a random one. I'm choosing the one that we as a movement, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? I've lost the word. Um, it's going to come to me. Uh, Oh, gee, I can't, there's a word I'm thinking. What is that word? No, 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 it's uh... traditionally, that's it, traditionally. <laughs> the thing is, when I write my note, I picture them in my mind, and I could picture the word, but I couldn't, it wasn't on the tip of my tongue. So that we as a movement traditionally uh, are dear to, and, uh, and that is the futurist pre-tribulation view, all right? Now, there are different views. You might hold a mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, you might have a different type of view. And we'll explain a little bit more about what this pre-tribulation view is. Um, But I do wanna say this, if you do have a different view, if you are pre, mid, post, or something else, it's not the end of the world. Well, it is, all right, but it's, (laughs) technically it is, but it's not the end of the world because because it doesn't determine your salvation. It's like, I don't have to pick the right one or, or make sure I've got the correct one and then I'll be saved. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, no, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we repent, receive receive forgiveness, and confess Him to be our Lord and Savior, then we will be saved, all right? So it's okay if we have some slightly different views, and that's good to discuss those things. So if we're all cool with that, is that okay? So we're gonna choose one tonight, and uh, we're gonna choose the futurist pre-tribulation view. Now, with any good timeline, you need a beginning, and you need to know where you're gonna start from. So seeing as we're talking about end times, let's start our timeline from the beginning of the last days. Now people often ask, are we in the last days? And I would say we are. And the reason for that is because in my view is that the last days started when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples in the upper room. And that's recorded in Acts chapter two. And I say that because in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that when the Spirit fell on the disciples, that they all started speaking in other languages, and they're they're making this ruckus, and they're just speaking in the Spirit in these other languages, and the Bible says the God-fearing Jews who were in the area heard this noise, and it was early in the morning, and they come, and they gather around, and they're trying to find out what's going on, and they think all the people must be drunk, or they must be having a party because there's such a noise coming out of there. And Peter, one of the disciples, he picks up on this and so he goes outside and he addresses the crowd and it says this in Acts chapter two, verse 15. It says, these people are not drunk as some of you were assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream So Peter is saying that this outpouring of the Spirit that was prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament is the beginning of the last days. So that means that we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. That doesn't sound very last days, does it? If you're going to say, you know, I'll be there in a couple of days, like a couple of thousand years later. that doesn't feel very last days. But we have to keep in mind what 2 Peter 3.8 says. It says, a day is like a 1,000 years to the Lord, and a 1,000 years is like a day. So it might feel like a few thousand years to us, but to God, it might just be a day or two. So from what I can tell from scripture, the last days begin when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. So this is the beginning of our timeline. I think I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna build a timeline. If we put the first slide up there, that would be, there we go. So we're gonna build a timeline as we go through to tonight. So this is the beginning of our timeline when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit fell. Now we also need a, the end of our timeline. And that's a little bit easier for us because we can just go straight to Revelation 21 verse one. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth disappeared and the sea was also gone. So the end of our timeline is where earth, old earth and old heaven, where we, what we know now passes away and there comes into existence a new heaven and a new earth. Now, exactly what that will look like, I don't know, but it's gonna be amazing. I can know that, right? So let's put our timeline up. We've got the beginning and we've got the end. Now let's see if we can fill in the middle bits, all right? So we've established where we begin. We've established that we are in the last days, but there is a specific age within the last days that we are in right now. And that age is the age of the church. And as the name suggests, it's the time where the church is on the earth. Now, when we say church, we're not talking about a building, we're talking about the worldwide body of believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ. So during this period, right now, we are in the age of the church. And in the age of the church, salvation is offered freely to every single person. Jew and Gentile, it is offered to every single person. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved simply by, as we said before, opening up their heart, repenting of their sin, receiving Jesus Christ's forgiveness and declaring Him to be their Lord and Savior, which is why we need to make the most of the opportunity while we have it. Because this opportunity won't be forever. And so while we have the opportunity, we need to let other people know about Jesus Christ. So while we are sitting here right now, we are in the age of the church. We also know as we're sitting here right now that while we're in the age of the church, that Jesus is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. It says in Romans 8, verse 34, who then will condemn us, no one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. So right now, um, we are in the age of the church, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and salvation is offered freely to every single person. And this is how things will remain until there is a certain significant event that takes place and that event is known as the rapture. And this is why this is the pre tribulation view, because as you'll see, the rapture is before we get into the time of tribulation. If you're mid trib, then you'd say it would be three and a half years into the tribulation. If you're post trib, you might say it's at the end of that tribulation. But we're looking at the pre tribulation view. So this is the rapture. Now, for some of you astute Bible scholars, you would appreciate that this word rapture doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It's a bit like the word trinity, that doesn't appear in the Bible either. But the word rapture, it describes this significant event that is going to happen. And it's the event where Christ comes down from heaven. But this is not the second coming. This is, if you like, the second revealing of Christ. Christ will come down, but he won't come all the way to earth. He will remain in the clouds. He will remain in the clouds. And um, he will come down and then... Uh, as he's in the cloud, he will snatch up, or he will rapture the church up, the worldwide body of believers, to be with him in heaven. And when that event takes place, it will bring to end the age of the church, because the church will no longer be on earth. So let's take a moment, let's take a moment to unpack this a little bit, this, uh, where we talk about the rapture. Because there's some pretty cool things that happen at this event. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, it gives us some insight about this. It said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever forever. So encourage each other with these words. So at the rapture, when Christ comes down and remains in the cloud, there'll be two types of Christians when the rapture occurs. They are those who have already died and those who are still alive when it happens. So let's first talk about those who have died. When you die as a believer... Although your physical body remains here on earth, your spirit immediately goes into the presence of God, which is a good thing, amen? And we know this because there's a couple of examples in Scripture. The first example is in Acts chapter seven, verse 55 to 56. And this is where Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, he gets stoned for his confession for believing in Jesus Christ And it says in Acts chapter seven, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So here's Stephen, he's in the moment of death and he looks up and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. In other words, he's about to be brought into the presence of Jesus. Another probably even more clear example, which you may be more familiar with is in Luke 23. Jesus is on the cross and there's two thieves either side and one of those thieves turns and confesses Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and Jesus turns to him and he says in Luke 23, verse 42 to 43, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So when we die, our physical body stays here but our spirit goes to be in the presence of our Lord and Saviour, amen. That's good news. However, this is only a temporary situation because the promise in the Bible is that at the rapture, you will actually get a brand new body. You'll get a glorified body, amen? One, that, like, one like you've never had before. One that is so perfect, so glorified, it will last forever, amen? And so the passage is saying that is that the spirit, so if you've died before the rapture, your spirit's in heaven, when Jesus comes back, your, those spirits that have died, or the Christians that have died, their spirits, they will come back with Jesus too. And they will be in the clouds, right? So Jesus in the cloud, the spirits of those who have died believing in Jesus is in the clouds. And then it says at that rapture, that their physical bodies will be resurrected, but they'll be resurrected different, same as Jesus Christ's body was different after his resurrection will be resurrected different, perfect and glorified and will come to meet their spirit and the two will be united as one. That's for those who have died before Jesus comes. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42, it says our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there they are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So that's what happens if you have died as a believer before the rapture. But what about the Christians who are still alive during the rapture? Because the truth is, Jesus could come back at any moment, he could come back right now, he could come back tomorrow and we'd still be alive, we'd still be believers. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 36, it says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So can I give you a bit of a tip? If you're gonna predict when Jesus comes back, pick, like just say a 1,000 years from now because then you're not here and you don't have to say if you got it wrong, right? Because no one's gonna get it right. No one knows the day, or the exact hour. So it could happen any moment. So they're gonna be people who are alive who believe in Jesus when this happens. So what happens to them? Well, let's read again what it says in 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. We read it just before. It says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be with the Lord forever. So pretty much the same thing. You, if you're alive, you'll just be raptured up and you will get a glorified body too in that moment. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40, uh, sorry, 15, 52. Gonna, I'm gonna give you a lot of scripture tonight because I don't just wanna say something and you go, well, you're just making that up, right? I'm trying to bring it from the Word of God. Is that cool? So hopefully I'm not going too fast, but you gotta appreciate There's a lot to pack in <laughs> into here. I'm doing my best. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. It says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, so this is at the rapture, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So all the believers will be raptured. The church will be raptured up, everyone receive a new glorified body, and we'll be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. So what happens then when we get to heaven? Well, the scripture tells us there are two key significant events That take place. The first significant event is called the judgment seat. And at the judgment seat, it's important to appreciate that this is not a judgment for your salvation. This is a judgment for for believers, but it's not a judgment to determine if you're saved or not. No, your your salvation is secure when you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour. But what this is, this is a judgment for how well you use what God gave you while you were still here. You see, what our works will be tested by fire. And if we have done well, if we have been diligent with what God gave us, with sharing the message, with being obedient to the opportunities that God gave us, then guess what, we will be rewarded in this moment. The Bible says that we would receive a different crowns and other things but we can also in this moment lose out on rewards. You see, this is, why, this is why when we have this message of reconciliation, this is why when we've been given this message to, to make disciples of all the nations, when we know that Jesus Christ is real and alive and he's changed our life, we can't just continue to go through the motions. We can't just sit on our hands and say, well, I'm cool, you know, and just, and just wait till Jesus returns or till we pass away. No, because we will be judged for how well we have used what we have been blessed with. Now that you know Jesus, what are you doing with that while they have the opportunity to do it? Everyone will get to heaven if we know Jesus, but some will be more rewarded than others, right? It says this in, um, oh, where is it? It says, uh, oh, anyway, I don't have a, it's, it's in there, trust me, I had a scripture, I took it out. I took it out. But, um, but that's gonna happen in that moment, right? So nothing to be fearful of. It's not a fearful judgment, but it's an opportunity for God to bless you for being a good steward of what he placed in your hand, amen? The second thing that's gonna happen is a marriage supper or the marriage feast of the lamb. And this is written in Revelation 19, verse seven. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. If you like parties, this is gonna be the greatest party you've ever been to. This is God is putting on a celebration because finally, finally Christ is united with His bride, the church, amen? So it's gonna be awesome. So here we are, we're in heaven. We're in the presence of Jesus. We've got brand new perfect bodies. We've all got six packs and we're looking amazing, all right? And we're having a party. It's gonna be awesome. But while that's happening, the scene on earth looks very different. Because those left on earth, they're experiencing the beginning of what is known as the tribulation. So what is the tribulation? Well, the tribulation is, it's a seven year period of time where the world will be in chaos. Remember, the church is no longer on the earth. The church has been raptured. And without the church here, things start to go into chaos. See, don't underestimate the impact of the church. Don't underestimate the the impact of of the prayers and the worship and the character and the morals that the church carries in the world. Because when the church isn't here, things start to fall apart. The church is significant. So at the beginning of this tribulation period, governments will begin folding. Economies start crashing, wars begin threatening to break out all over. There'll be earthquakes, famines, and natural disasters that begin to be at an all-time high. And the world leaders that are left behind, they will be scrambling to come up with some sort of, of answer to be able to, to find some sort of peace to this whole situation. Now, you might ask the question, how come it's seven years? Why is this tribulation seven years, and how do we know that? Well, it's, it's calculated from a prophecy God gave Daniel about the Jews or the nation of Israel in Daniel chapter nine. To be honest, it's a little bit technical, but let me see if I can just summarize it in in like two minutes. (laughs) Let me see. (laughs) Daniel was praying to God. Daniel's praying to God and he asked God, God, when will you restore the nation of Israel? When will you restore Jerusalem? Because at the time, they had done the wrong thing and they were in exile and they, were under, they had an enemy over them, the Babylonians. So Daniel's praying and God says to Daniel, well, you know what? It's not gonna be quick. It's actually gonna be quite a period of time. It's actually gonna be 70 lots of seven years before they are restored, which is 490 years. Seven lots of, sorry, 70 lots of seven years. And then God says to Daniel, but that countdown of those years, 70 lots of 7 years, is not going to start until you are given permission to start rebuilding Jerusalem. And from scripture, that permission happened when King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to go back and start building the walls. So he went back, start building the walls, and those 70 lots of seven years started counting down. But the other thing God said to Daniel is that the countdown will stop when the anointed one is cut off. And it was saying the anointed one is Jesus Christ, so the time will keep counting down until Jesus Christ is crucified. And if you actually calculate the years from when Nehemiah was given permission to start rebuilding the walls to when Jesus died, there was only 69 lots of seven years. So there was one lot of seven years left. And that one lot of seven years is where they get seven years for the tribulation. Was that two minutes? That wasn't too bad, right? There you go. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So the earth is the beginning of this seven years of chaos, of tribulation, and the world leaders, they don't know what to do. And then seemingly out of nowhere, this, this man will step forward, and he will have this master plan who say, no, I've got this plan. I've got a great plan that's gonna bring world peace. You need to listen to this plan. And, And the world leaders will be intrigued and they'll be excited by this plan and they will actually, they'll say, this is brilliant. We wanna take this plan on. And all the world leaders will listen to this one man and they'll take on this plan and they'll create this one world government. And for a few years, things are a little bit better. Things are actually a little bit more peaceful. But then at the three and a half year mark, so halfway through the tribulation, this man will reveal himself for who he truly is and he will reveal himself as the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, he's a man who's fully empowered by Satan and he's serving Satan. In Revelation, he's referred to as the beast of the sea or from the sea. And scripture tells us at this moment, this moment is called, if you've heard this term, the revealing of the abomination of the desolation. Referred to in the book of Daniel or Matthew 24. And when this happens, God's wrath will be greatly intensified. Especially because even the nation of Israel made a covenant with the Antichrist. So all the nations. And as a result, the world will enter a three and a half year period known as the Great Tribulation. So they've been in the tribulation halfway through the seven years. And now it's it's intensified even more. And during this time, God will pour out 21 judgments. Upon the nations. we will see, I believe, a third of the world will die. Millions and millions of people will suffer and die more than ever in a short period of time. And Jesus describes this period of time in Matthew twenty-four, twenty-one. He says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So you think about all the horrific things that are happening in the history of the world and Jesus says it will be much worse than any of them. Now along with the Antichrist, there'll also be another person who arises at the time known as the false prophet. In Revelation, he's referred to as the beast of the earth. And he too will be empowered by Satan and he, the Bible tells us that he will have the ability to perform signs and wonders by satanic power. And his entire mission is to convince the whole world to worship the Antichrist. And unfortunately he will be very good at convincing them to do that and the world will actually set up an idol in worship to the Antichrist. And then this idol somehow will be given a voice and it will make a demand of the people of the earth. And it says this in Revelation thirteen fifteen: then the statue of the beast, being the Antichrist, commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Which goes on to say is 666. Basically, if you do not worship the Antichrist in this time and take his mark, you'd be put to death. And Revelation 20 suggests that potentially you'd be beheaded. So if you're up to this stage, if you've survived the first three and a half years of the tribulation, you're now not only presented with facing an even greater troubling three and a half years, but you also have to face a very difficult choice. Either refuse to worship the image of the beast and therefore die, or worship the image of the beast, take his mark, and thus incur upon yourself the wrath of God. Now, it would seem in this tribulation period that all hope was lost, but not quite. Because in this tribulation time, the Bible tells us about 144,000 Jews and two witnesses who carry the message of Jesus Christ in this time. Of the 144,000 Jews, it says in Revelation 7:4, and I heard how many were marked, sorry, and I heard how many were marked with the seal of God 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. There's gonna be 144,000 Jews. These are uh, Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior. And they're gonna have a uh, special seal from God. They're gonna be, if you like, protected from the tribulation and the Antichrist. And they're gonna carry the message of Jesus Christ. And they're gonna be sharing that in this tribulation period. And the Bible says that millions of people will come to know Jesus Christ. In fact, it says that John saw how many people, when he's writing Revelation, he said it was countless. I couldn't count how many people had come to Jesus Christ in that time. There's also gonna be two witnesses. Two witnesses that may be from the Old Testament. Some people think they might be um, Moses and Elijah. We're not quite sure. But they are gonna have, they're gonna have power to do incredible miracles and they're gonna go through sharing the message of Jesus Christ as well. But at some stage, they're actually gonna be killed by the Antichrist But then the Bible says that three days later, they'll be resurrected back to life in front of all their enemies, and then we lift to heaven, they will see who they truly are. But they too carry the message of Jesus Christ. So not all hope is lost in the tribulation, and I love that because it is such a good reminder that it doesn't matter how dire things get, if you choose to turn to God, there is still hope to be found, amen? Even in the most difficult of circumstances, There is still hope to be found in Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I encourage you, if you turn to Jesus, you can find hope, you can find peace, you can find life, because that's how much He loves us, amen? He's such a good God. Now, we get to the end of the seven year period and we're told that the Antichrist will eventually convince the world leaders that are loyal to Him to gather all their forces together all their armies and to mount a full-on assault against the nation of Israel. So this is the end of the seven-year tribulation. And this will spark a war known as Armageddon. Revelation sixteen sixteen and the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place where they, with the Hebrew name Armageddon. And this is where we finally come to the second coming of Christ. Because as the armies are gathered for battle, Revelation 19 tells us that all of a sudden at the end of that seven year period, heaven splits wide open and Jesus triumphantly returns to the earth riding on a white horse with a sword in his mouth and with all of heaven's armies following him and and everybody with him. And it tells us that Jesus comes and in that moment he captures the antichrist and the false prophet and he throws them in to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, the eternal lake of fire. And everyone else who has come against God in that moment will be killed by the sword in his mouth. It says in Revelation nineteen twenty, both the beast and, the, and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on their dead bodies. So Christ will defeat the false prophet and the antichrist and destroy all those who have pledged allegiance to them. And on top of that, he will bind up Satan in chains for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse one, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil Satan and bound him in chains for a thousand years. And so at the second coming of Jesus, Jesus defeats the enemy, he binds Satan and throws him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And as a result, the world enters a period of time called the millennium. As the name suggests, millennium is a thousand, so a thousand years. And this is a thousand years. Um, where the world and its inhabitants will experience a world that is, it is restored back to potentially what it was like in the Garden of Eden. A thousand years because the, Satan will be bound up, Christ will reign on the earth and we will, we will be with him on the earth and we will, reign, we will be in this, this Garden of Eden type world for a thousand years with our glorified bodies. But there will be two inhabitants of the earth at this time. There were those who already received their glorified bodies, and those who somehow survived the tribulation but did not worship the beast. It says in Revelation 20 verse four, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this will go for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released one more time where he will attempt a final revolt against Christ. He will attempt to go out and deceive all the nations and one more time march against Jerusalem. But before that can happen, God will intervene yet again and he will throw Satan into the lake of eternal fire, joining both the Antichrist and the false prophet and they will remain in torment for all of eternity. Because in the end, God wins, Amen. amen. He already had the victory. He's already overcome. He's already won. As this happens, there's another couple of events, and the next event is the judgment of the unrighteous, well known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And this is where everyone would stand before God who did not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and therefore whose names are not written in the Lamb's, in the Lamb's Book of Life. They too, sadly, would be thrown into the eternal lake of fire with Satan, Antichrist and the false prophet to be tormented forever. Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's pretty heavy stuff. It's why we can't get apathetic about sharing about Jesus Christ to those around us. Because if we really believe what we believe, we need to do everything we can to tell people about Jesus so they can live forever with him. On the other hand, those who did accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, did confess Him to be their Lord and Saviour, repent, receive their forgiveness, their names will be written into the Lamb's Book of Life. And they will be ushered into a new heaven and a new earth where they will remain in the presence of God forever. And finally, God's eternal plan will be fulfilled. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow, crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. It's good news, amen. It's awesome news. God's in control. No matter what happens, God is in control. And if you've surrendered your life to Him, guess what? You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear anything because He is in control. Whether it's pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, whatever it is, you still don't need to fear because He's still in control. Just keep looking to Him. Just keep your eyes upon Him. Just keep pursuing Him. And in the end, you will reign and live forever with your Lord and Saviour. Forever. Think about that for a moment. Me and my daughter, we were driving here tonight. We were thinking about forever. And for a moment, it was just like, it's overwhelming. There's no end. Everything we know has a beginning and end. Forever does has no end. For all eternity, it never ends. We'll be in the presence of our Saviour, worshiping Him, full of joy, full of life, no pain, no sorrow, just joy, overwhelming joy in His presence. Oh, that's amazing. But for those who don't know Jesus, It's the complete opposite. Next week, I think I'm gonna talk a little bit about heaven and hell. Because I I think sometimes we we understand the concepts, but when you stop and you really think about it, it, I tell you, it motivates you to get up every day and live it on purpose. To live it on purpose for Jesus. To do what you can to share His message to let people know as we come to Easter, there is no more important time to share about the message of Jesus Christ. Because this is life and death, church. This isn't just get together and have a good time and feel good and go home and go through a week. This is life and death. This is people's eternities we're talking about. For eternity. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we've been given the message of reconciliation we've been given the commission to share it with people so that they can know the joy and peace and hope that we do each and every day. Amen.
0: I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you and He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what, the past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the word of God go with you from this day forward, and I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer, or you wanna know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.